lollygaggers. Got another week on tap here. <laughs> we are, of course, lollygagging sports. I am Bo Reed along with Samantha Button and Matthew Irby. Now, you know, Samantha, we, we've had this conversation before, but I got to say it again. Like, that's, that's, that's quite arguably one of the best, if not the best, soundtracks out there. The Top Gun. It might be the best soundtrack that exists. It, it really might be. Like, I can't think of a better one. I can't either. All that Kenny Loggins, Miami Sound Machine. It's so good. It's so good. I mean, the, the only ones that come to mind, now you've got to really like some good old-fashioned 80s rock to get into the Rocky soundtracks, but that's the only ones I can think of that are talked about like the Top Gun soundtracks are. And that's mostly because of all the, 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 the workout scenes in Rocky that these songs are laid over. I mean, that's, that's, let's be honest. <laughs> that's why it's Still about. never seen a Rocky movie. Still never going to see one because it is still funnier to listen to all of you react to the fact that I've never seen a Rocky movie that it will ever be to actually watch. <laughs> so can't say that I know what's on the Rocky soundtrack. Although, to be fair, I did own the Top Gun soundtrack before I saw Top Gun. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, we were like... I what? think I was like 20 by the time I saw Top Gun. Well, we were, um, weren't we also like five sure when it came out? Yes. <laughs> but as a like five-year-old, I, I did own the soundtrack, uh, but I had not seen the movie. Um, why it took me until age 20 to see it as opposed to like, I don't know, age 12, I don't know. But um, anyway, a bit of a delay on the movie, which, you know, it's a, it's a fairly decent film. But the soundtrack is better. One of many where the soundtrack is better than the movies, much like Dirty Dancing, which also has an excellent soundtrack. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. That, that, I, I feel like that might be a little underrated, the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. Very underrated. I think that might really, be a really, really good soundtrack. Really good soundtrack. Better than the movie, again. Better than the movie. Well, the movie's too cheesy. It is. I mean, it's it, so I think better. it's a better... I, I watched it recently and decided it was a better movie than I had thought initially, but it's still on the cheesy side. Like, just the, the, the dad and the guy at the end, and they're like, well, no, when I make a mistake, I own it. And it's like, dun, dun, dun. And Susan and I are botching the dialogue, but you know what I mean. Nobody uh, puts baby in a corner. And yeah. you're like, I, dude, dude. <laughs> it's so dumb. Yeah. Great soundtrack, though. Great soundtrack. <laughs> Speaking of cheesy, Irby, how you, how you doing over there? Well, now I'm listening to Dirty Dancing, so doing great. <laughs> it was it was Top Gunner. I actually, yeah, it's it's so weird that you did that. And we we did that. Um, I, I worked out to the Top Gun soundtrack earlier this week, and I felt like I was lifting a little bit more, yeah. got more reps in. So yeah, yeah, big kudos to that. You know, yeah, too, far too many people don't value their 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 playlist with their workout playlist. Enough, you know, and and, that, and that's why, right? You got to yeah. find the stuff that well, gets you going. But it's all about timing too. Like I did my my break during, uh, you know, when when we were getting a little bit slower. Songs like "Take My Breath Away" definitely not. You no. don't want to be doing, you know, bench pressing during "Take My Breath Away." It's good for ab not work. Not a smart idea. It's good for ab work. Yeah, I guess that would work for abs. There you go. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure this isn't going to surprise you guys, but my workout playlist is pretty much entirely '80s hair metal. Shouldn't shock you. Shouldn't shock anyone that listens to this program. <laughs> he does know. No, he knows other songs. 
I know he's very fixated on that, but like he actually can converse with you about music that's not metal. It's just that that's his central focus. Um, <laughs> that's one way of putting it. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so the playlist is very important. Like I, I, every once in a while, you'll meet somebody who's like, "Oh, I just go running in silence," or "I listen to a podcast while I'm running," and I'm like, I, "What?" Like I'm like apoplectic. Like, what, what do you mean you run while listening to a podcast? How? How? Like I. <laughs> If my headphones died, I would probably have a stroke. Yeah, see, um, I feel like I could run to a podcast. Lifting to a podcast, that, that'd be kind of different. But I think I could run to one. No. No. <laughs> no? No, I used to use one of those things where you could get, where you could plug the song in and get the beats per minute and then set up the playlist so that I would have, like, something with slower BPMs for, like, warm-ups. And then, you know, the peak to when we wanted to go the fastest so that you could match your pace to the music, like, in this, like, very ridiculously scientific way. Um, it, it was quite time-consuming. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds worth it, though. <laughs> oh, it was, yeah. Once you have your finished product, it's great. The problem is then you get to figure the playlist stuff for, like, five days and you have to do <laughs> This is, like, pre-husband, pre-children. I had a lot of free time. This is how I started. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to talk some baseball tonight, as we always do this time of year. So, Samantha, you want to get us started here with uh, with your first topic of the week? Yeah. So I thought because we have all collectively uh, as a baseball community just into Mexico City. Um, I thought that we should talk a little bit about these international series, which I actually think are super cool. I love that they're doing this. Um, I'm not as optimistic as, like, let's say, Rob Manfred about growing the game in, like, Paris, for example. <laughs> but I think it's super fun and interesting that they're doing this. And, and as somebody who likes travel and, and sort of likes sort of seeing the, you know, how baseball fits into a different culture um, or how it looks played in a different location. Um, I'm very into this. So I, I think originally when I was thinking about talking about this, I just kind of wanted to go over the like, hey, isn't this neat? We've been doing London. That's gone pretty well. Mexico City and, and my aim was sort of to talk about how, you know, can baseball find a home in these places? And then 10 zillion home runs got hit in Mexico. <laughs> and... I had to reframe, and I thought, okay, this is wild. Um, we should probably talk about this in this context. Um, you know, 7,349 feet above sea level is Alfredo Harpelu. I am probably butchering the pronunciation of that. Um, <laughs> Estadio. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and they have the humidor there set at 70 degrees and 57% humidity, which is not even the course field. Settings. Those are like the standard average MLB ballpark settings. So, like, who, why? How did we get here? Um, right? That's weird and doesn't make any sense. Um, so, I, I thought that was sort of odd. And then uh, found out uh, from Saber that Mexico City, not the highest place uh, to host a professional baseball game in history, that honor belongs to Leadville, Colorado which had a minor league team in the 19th century, which is at 10,158 feet. So I wow. guess if you hit an infield fly there, it's probably going out. <laughs> um, but uh, but I, uh, 
just for fun, I, I kind of looked into the others uh, just to see if we could expect anything like this anywhere else. And unfortunately, London, 52 feet. Uh, Stade de France, where they're going to play in a couple of years at 125 feet. And then also in a couple of years, we're going to go to Tokyo, which is 125 feet as well. So the pyrotechnics related to elevation will only be taking place in Mexico City, uh, not the other international ballparks. But uh, pretty cool, pretty interesting stuff to think about. And uh, I mean, reset your humidor. Like, I mean, that's fun and all, and it's a good show. But like, guys, guys, this is out of control. It's like playing on the moon. It's just, I mean, it's a little awkward for the umpire to call the infield fly and watch it sail into the seats. That's... <laughs> <laughs> and you got these pitchers leaving there being like, I don't think my stats here should count. You're, like, oh, You're not wrong. Which is, where I, which is where I kind of thought, like, oh, yeah, I kind of agree with you, but also, like, pitchers whining, like, stop, stop. You're 75% of the time you are successful. Like, let it go next. Um. You know, I mean... You know, humidor issues aside, baseball is a sport that you can't take internationally. Like, that. like this isn't like the NFL, yes. right? Yes, I agree. Like, th- this, is a, this is a, you know, baseball is played worldwide. The NFL is played in the, the, the continental United States, right? So, you know, it's a reach for the NFL. But baseball, at least, you can do that. You can't go this now. You know, the humidor is a, is a different problem, but they at, least, at least they gave Mexico City a show. Right there, Irby? What are your thoughts here? Uh, yeah, show is definitely the key word there. I, I suddenly I'm thinking uh, home run derby at the stadium. <laughs> Juice that ball up and oh, we get... That would be a long it, night. It would last like eight hours. <laughs> and that's okay, as long as it's not one of our sluggers. Um. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm with you guys. I'm excited about this. I think this is good that you're, you're growing this. Um, it's a good start um, with we got the Mexico City with the London series coming up. Like I said, Tokyo and Paris. Um, after that, I would love to continue to see you know the success that we've seen from WBC teams. Um, we get some games in Italy. Um, Jerusalem might be interesting, but I mean that's that kind of makes sense. And mm. uh, yeah, I this is this is a good direction to go. And, and because of how baseball schedules are this is very doable um so yeah i i I don't i don't see as much of a negative here where you're getting multiple games in like this i I am curious to see where you expand this to uh being big uh formula one fans i got plenty of cities in there and plenty of fan bases that i would love to see if we could somehow get one of these in maybe amsterdam uh just to see you know that dutch crowd how they bust out the orange and we got orange smoke everywhere kind of want to see the Marlins in their orange uniform out there or, or maybe the Orioles as well. Like, like that's, that's just kind of want to see one of those or uh, maybe the forest of Austria makes a lot of sense. Uh, but I mean, this is, this is good. This is, this is good for baseball. And I, the, 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 I don't want to say the possibilities are endless, <laughs> but this is a good start with the cities you have in Mexico city, London, Paris, Tokyo. Uh, just real curious to see where you expand from there if you start hitting some of these targets of where you've got players. I mean, we, we talk about we've got guys like, I mean, Max Kepler, you know, I, we need to get a, while well, he, wherever he is, if he's still with Minnesota, let's get a series of those guys over in Germany. You know, so those are the things that, yeah, that's that's that next step forward. So good start. Here's to see what keeps going. See, now I'm trying to picture a stadium in the forest of Austria. I'm getting very creative with the foul poles. That's all I'm going to say. 
Samantha, anything else you want to add on that one? Yeah, I was uh, going to kind of go to the same place as Irby did, and, and you mentioned a lot of the cities where, where I would like to see it. You know, you mentioned Amsterdam, Jerusalem, and, and uh, Rome uh, is another one. Uh, those were all on my list, um, as well as Seoul, Korea, I think, is another place uh, yeah. where I, I think uh, it would be good for this. Um, I, I would love to see Frankfurt, although, you know, now that you're talking about using trees as foul holes, I'm like, no, you know what, let's play it in the Schwarzwald, like the Black Forest. Like, let's just play wilderness baseball. That would be <laughs> awesome. Um, so I would be into that. Um, yeah, we mentioned Amsterdam, for sure. Are you, uh, um, Samantha, are you game in Monaco? Granted, I know that the, I know the principality of Monaco is about the size of a baseball field. Yeah, I I, <laughs> I wanted to say Monaco, and then I struggled with where on earth you would put a ballpark there because I'm pretty sure all of the you know one square mile is like spoken for. Uh, <laughs> sort of like like the Vatican. Like I mean, I guess you could play a modified game in St. Peter's Square, uh, which would be dope. But like. You know, uh, <laughs> have to use a wiffle ball. Um, just for that, just for that foul ball that breaks some uh, some stained glass windows. Like, bro, you know that was like a hundred thousand dollar window, right? No, no, no. no <laughs> oh my works. gosh, yeah. Like, well, all right. I'm thinking of all of the like um, obelisks that were. I'll be generous and say reappropriated from Egypt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, some some of them were gifts from the Egyptian government, so acquired there you go. square. Um, but you know, we, we have one in New York, of course. But there's one in London, there's one in Paris, there's one in Rome. You know, and I thought, oh, there, there you go, Falpole, obelisk, perfect. How cool would that be? <laughs> Could we somehow arrange it so that the obelisk <laughs> was Falpole? The papal apartments could be the luxury suites, the boxes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> yeah. And then when you have the, could the strike call be like the Pope smoke? You know, could we get the Pope smoke? Yeah, like, there we go. That's like, for the home runs. That's for the home runs. Yeah, instead of fireworks, run. instead of fireworks, you get the white smoke. And if it's a foul ball, you, you get the, you get the dark smoke. It's perfect. No, I need this. <laughs> Whiffle ball in St. Peter's Square. What could go wrong? Um, only the destruction <laughs> of Great Works of Art or Thousands of and, Years and you've got, <laughs> Let's do it. You've got plenty of statues you can use for the Ghost Runner in extra innings. It's perfect. I We have finally found a way to put my art history degree into direct use in my current <laughs> career as a sports analyst. There we go. <laughs> we made it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What else do you have for us tonight, Samantha? All right, so we have a new stat. Uh, We have a lot of new stats this year, but the newest stat, caught stealing above average. So I actually think this is pretty cool. New catcher metric. We've got a couple of them. You know, we've seen pop time recently, uh, as well as the catcher blocking metric, all of which are are pretty neat. But caught stealing above average is the newest one. So just in in very basic terms, uh, if you're not familiar, you're essentially going up or down from the number zero, and you're talking about the number of runners you would have thrown out versus the number of runners that you actually did. And this takes into account a whole boatload of stuff. So the runner's speed, the lead he's got, whether the batter's right or left-handed, but the pitcher's right or left-handed, and, of course, the pitch itself, the type, the speed, the location, all of that put together 
I will spare you the exact math, uh, spits back a percentage of likelihood that the catcher would throw out the runner. And then, of course, your caught stealing above average is how you fare in comparison to that particular likelihood. So when you put it together, then also with the catcher pop time and the blocking metric, you can get a pretty good idea of how good is a catcher truly at throwing out runners because you're taking things out of the equation like, you know, I mean, we all know you, you mostly steal off the pitcher, right? Not the catcher. So obviously we're, you know, we're keeping that in mind. This is a metric that is designed to remove that. It's sort of like park factors, but for a catcher. So you're taking that out of the equation. So we get, you know, it's an attempt, I think, to move a little bit away from the idea that we kind of blame the catcher and you're not able to catch a runner. This is going to tell you if you really should blame the catcher under those circumstances. Um, and just a, a bit of housekeeping on this. Um, so everybody knows, you know, throw speed, exchange, accuracy, teamwork. These are the things that factor into the metric. And, of course, this is, we don't actually have data for throws to third yet because there isn't enough of it to draw any conclusions. This is for throws to second only. But it's not going to change it that much because, you know, 90% of attempts are runners trying to steal a second. So it won't skew the data that much even when they start including throws down to third. But mm -hmm. pretty cool stuff. I want to get you guys' thoughts on that and we can kind of come back to who is faring the best under this metric as is right now. Right. I mean, you know, the timing of this is, 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 is interesting when you consider just how many more stolen bases we're seeing, how many more attempts yes. we're seeing because of the rules. Yes. So, I mean, it's, it's outstanding timing. And frankly, Irby, I mean, it's, it's a stat that even without the elevated mm -hmm. stolen base rates, like it, this is something we've needed for a while, I think. Uh, yes, more catcher stats. Never, never going to have a problem with more catcher stats. <laughs> and, and, um, Shocking. This is one. Uh, yeah, you know, he loves it because it's out after he retired. Like I don't know if I would have enjoyed this one when I was playing. <laughs> um, yeah, this one I, I I love. It's the you know I mean we but we've seen similar numbers like this with pitching and we've seen this with independent fielding and stuff like this. I'm glad that we get to that point here with catching where you're taking out of the equation the runner, you're taking out of the equation the pitcher, and you're really cutting down onto the catcher themselves. And um, I the li the list that we have I know that the, the obviously it's ever changing still early in the season. Um, shocker of up there at the top, some guy named uh, J T. Real Munto. I don't know if you got you know pretty pretty good pretty good catcher. Uh, and Marty Maldonado up there, um, so makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, I I, I love this one. Um, it will be interesting. I think Samantha hits that very well. Of uh, that, we still don't know exactly what we have here, um, which is fun. It's fun when you have stats like these because we do have uh, to the point that she was saying at the beginning. We have all kinds of new stats, and a lot of the times they're stats that are oh, that's that's not. A this is one that there is something here. There absolutely is something here, and I'm real curious to see once we get a year, probably going to be two years worth of data before we really can see how this is going to affect baseball going forward. Um, when you have these bigger bases, when you have stats like this, when you have the um, limitation on number of times you can throw over, I know there's there's data happening every day, and but it is going to take us a couple of years before we really have a grasp of what this actually is and how it's going to be used. And you know, teams are going to be using it. I mean, they got. Well, I, I was going to say they all have entire departments. 
most teams have entire departments geared um, towards exactly these kinds of numbers, and this is not new data for them. This is stuff that they've already been looking at. So you're going to see these, you know, I, I, numbers like these, stats like these. I, I would, would challenge people to is as you look at these stuff, Yes, look at the names, look at the players, but I want you to continue. Keep looking at keep looking at the teams. Look at the teams, and you will start noticing these trends on these stats like these, the teams, and who goes after who. You know, it's, you're going to start seeing these forward-thinking teams that are going to have a couple players on these top 10, top 20, top 30 type lists. Samantha, what, anything you want to add there? We're going to talk who's doing great with this, with this new stat. Yeah, yeah, Irby mentioned um, the, the first two guys on the list. But, yeah, you know, J.P. Real Mudo is head and shoulders above everybody else. He's at 16 right now. Um, the next closest would be Martin Maldonado at 7. So Real Mudo clearly, clearly <laughs> far and away <laughs> the leader here. And then after that, uh, you know, it's Gabby Moreno, Christian Betancourt, Jan Gomes, uh, Wilson Contreras with 5. Uh, Jose Herrera, Elias Diaz with four, and then uh, Nick Fortes, Neighbors Valoria, Tyler Heineman, and Abby Rushman with two. Um, interesting to note that five of the 12 people here are definitely sort of in that, we're in this era where like the backup catcher is considered sort of disposable. Five of these people are like man without a team right now, or they've been sent down. So, um, you know, to Harvey's point about needing more data, like, yeah, I, I don't know that we necessarily want data for, you know, Valoria, for example, is <laughs> no longer with the Guardians. Uh, a lot of these guys have, have moved around since then, so it's a little bit difficult to tell. But as just as a quick counterexample before we move on and, and sort of leading into my next topic, um, the Mets, for example, have only thrown out two of 23 would-be base runners, and this data is as of last Sunday. Uh, because uh, obviously, we're not listening to this live, um, but it's actually not as bad as it looks because, you know, you look at that, that would have been the information we had before, right? And we would have been like, the Mets captures suck. Right. But it turns out, actually, that when you break it down using these catcher metrics, that the, it's the pitchers that are the problem here, not the catchers. So I think this is a good example of a way we can use this data to sort of take some heat off of some catchers um, and, and also to create some catchers who are, are doing the work where, you know, it's all well and good for me. So, yeah, I know you still love the pitcher, but we still get mad at the catcher when the throw doesn't get there in time or the throw is offline, right? But this is a good, I think, example of how we can kind of quantify that and say, no, here's exactly who's to blame for this. And well, speaking of Mets pitchers, <laughs> I mean, I mean, to be fair to the Mets pitching staff, uh, Insure is probably on the banned list of supplements that they can take. So, let's, 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 yeah, let's, let's, it's kind of a little slack here. Which brings me to my next topic: the Mets rotation it is not in great shape. Um, so there was a, a doubleheader on Wednesday. Uh, they they lost both of those games to the Detroit Tigers, which is. Pretty embarrassing, you know, Tony Lucchese ate a start here, which, okay, uh, but the second start, Matt Scherzer, back from the Sticky Stuff band, was absolutely awful, um, which is a bummer for any number of reasons. Um, I still, I believe in Max. I, I'm not giving up on Max, but yeah, this is a bad look. Um, and then, of course, rounding out the rotation, we have uh, Justin Verlander, who will be going on Thursday, finally back from rehab. So hopefully that will help the Mets out a little bit, because other than that, you've got Senga, who's been fine, and, and Tyler McGill, who's been okay. But, you know, after that, you know, with Quintana out, you're really down to, like, Carlos Carrasco, who is a 
just a wonderful story, and we all love Carlos Carrasco, but you guys, he's so washed. He's old, and his velo's down. He just doesn't really have it anymore. So, I mean, they're in a bad spot, right? Like, it's like we're going to assume Verlander's going to be okay because he's superhuman. But after that, you know, you're counting on Jota Senga and, and Miguel Gorilla to be, like, I think to take on roles that I, I don't know that we should necessarily expect them to take on in terms of the type of pitching performances that we would need out of them. And, you know, Max not being Max is, is really, really hurting the Mets big time here. Yeah, I mean, you, know, you kind of want to take what Max did today and just go, okay, he won't, you know, he missed the last 10 days. Maybe he's a little rusty. Maybe he just, you know, needed, needed some knocks, some. Some sure, stuff off, sure. you know, so, so I'm trying not to overreact too much, um, but I agree with you. Um, on you look at the staff, like you, you can see, okay, well, it could be good, or it could go really, really badly. Um, and there's not much gray in between. I don't think Irby. They're either going to be good, and they're going to be good enough to make the playoffs, or it's going to go south and go south fast. Yeah, this is. Um, I I, I want to believe. I do. I do. Like, like I want to believe it. And Verlander coming back does improve things. Um, but <laughs> we, 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 this goes back to the conversation we're having before about stats. And you know, there are certain stats and things that will point out, they, uh, you know, certain metrics. Um, and one of them that's big for us, and, it, and it's big for us, and it's big for baseball in general of what shows success is quality starts. Um, this is something we're a good decade into this, really understanding this, and quality starts are big. No shocker here. The, the Pittsburgh Pirates have 18 quality starts. They lead all Major League Baseball. Okay, If your pitcher is going six innings and giving up three or less earned runs, you're going to win baseball games. It's that simple. It really is that simple. And, and obviously, it's not that simple to do, but, but numbers-wise, it comes that simple. Okay, The Mets have four quality starts. That is tied for 28th with the Oakland A's. Oh, okay? man. Only the Tigers <laughs> have less quality starts. Okay? So, yes, I, 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 I don't want to hit the panic button. Um, and and as, as we're recording this, the Tigers are about to get their fourth, by the way. Um, don't want to hit that panic button or anything. But this is an outlier that does bother me. I don't like it. I, you know, and Verlander coming back, that's great. But this was supposed to be this rotation of these guys are going to be near impossible to beat. And right now, no, things not good. Mm-hmm. Not good for the Mets. And, and, and so, uh, fortunately, yes, like you said, Verlander coming back. You're only four games out. You're only four games out. This isn't, this isn't you know, a... a it's place in your division like your counterparts across town are, are dealing with. So this is not terrible for the Mets. This is easily correctable. They have the team. They they, they, they have the players in place. That this can be turned around in a heartbeat. I just, and it's to the point, and it's a great point of why we're talking about this, is I don't, with you guys, I don't like this direction. Um, so fixable, absolutely, but um, go, go ahead and fix it, New York. <laughs> I mean, uh- you, you just don't want to be mentioned with the A's right now, it, especially in, in quality starts. The A's just now, I think this week, Samantha, I think they just now got their first win out of the rotation since last year. Yikes. 
I yikes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's bad. And I, you know, and, and part of the problem for the Mets is they just, there's no depth there, right? Like, there was no backup plan here. Like, they're not a team, like, you know, it's got to be frustrating, I'm sure, to go out and spend all of that money and, and try to put together this really dynamic rotation and then watch teams like the Dodgers and the Guardians and the Rays who just seem to have this inexhaustible supply of, oh, well, we'll just call up another guy. Oh, well, we'll just call up another guy. And there's just pitcher after pitcher after pitcher. So it, this should be probably a lesson to the Mets in that, like, you know, we need to have a backup plan like Carlos Carrasco wasn't the backup plan um, so you know say what you will about uh buying talent in lieu of uh, developing talent but uh yeah i mean the, the division is, is certainly as you pointed out or be not unwinnable in any way but the, that quality start thing man that's that's brutal like we finally finally i think even the most casual of fans we've gotten away from pitcher wins thank goodness We've finally started to understand that that is not the signifier for what, I mean, I just watched the Guardians game the other day where I saw a starter throw eight innings of beautiful, beautiful baseball only to watch the guy who came in after him throw one pitch and get the win. So I'm glad that we all now understand that quality starts are, are one of the better ways to, to measure success for both the individual and for the team. But it's not good news for the Mets. Like, you just don't want to be keeping company with the A's in any capacity unless you're just really into cats. And like, you're like, <laughs> I have the same number of cats as the Oakland A's. Then, like, you're probably doing pretty good. Otherwise, I don't think you ever want to be tied with the A's for anything. <laughs> and we get that feral cat mention in there. Got to do it uh, every week. Every week. Every week. Every week. Yeah, you know, it, it's, I, don't, I don't, you know, just go looking ahead. I don't think it's going to be the last time it's mentioned tonight either. Just... FYI for future future topic conversations. All right, Irby, how about you? What do you have for us this week? Well, I got I got one team um, doing better than the Mets in quality starts. Um, uh, actually, with with nine, um, and is the only team that has the same number of quality starts as wins. Oh, no. However, <laughs> this is a fun one. <laughs> um, because it goes back to one that we had fun with last year and everything, and. I think we are now 30 games into the season. It is safe to say that Tony LaRusso was not the problem in Chicago. Ooh. Oh. Um, right. What is... Close those ears, what? Chicago fans. <laughs> this is... <laughs> I... This is not... I mean, this is... This is fun, Dad. I, 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 this is... This is bad. I, 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 you know, we go... This, this is an issue... I think we have talked about ever since the White Sox made um, an effort to go sign everybody related to Manny Machado, um, which didn't get him, um, and it got everything else. Yeah. That was so great. But, but, I mean, there have been problems there since that point. Like, this is, this is, I, I, you know, we don't have any Green Bay Packer fans here, so that's fine. Also, the White Sox are becoming the Packers of baseball. Like, there's always this talk about expectations, and you got this, this, and that. There's nothing happening on the field. This is getting bad, and it's we're watching it in front of us. It is getting worse. You know, it. it, it I. You're not. Well, normally in a situation like this, eight games out of the division, um, and, and especially a division the AL Central, which has just been so weird the last few years. Normally, in that situation would be like plenty of time to go out, plenty of time to turn this around. I, I'm calling. It's over. Like this White Sox team, what we're watching, what we see day in and day out. It is over. Put the X next to them. 
they are eliminated from the playoffs already. This is a bad Ooh. baseball team, and it's heading in a worse direction. You know, your Smith is interesting. Um, I did notice that they, they finally had their moving day a couple of days ago. It was it 11 roster moves? That the White Sox made it's like Monday or Tuesday of this week. They finally said, "Okay, we gotta get some fresh blood in here and try something." When when, when you're making eleven roster moves in one day, things are not going well. I yeah, I know this is all gonna get blamed on injuries again, but like there's a lot more to it than that. And it's baffling to me the number of and it's sort of one of those things where you know I'm trying not to criticize our colleagues all the time, but there are a lot of national analysts who. I think we have some beef with with the way they sort of predict how teams are going to perform, particularly coming into a season. And there were a lot of people out there saying, like, I don't know, look out for the White Sox. Like, they fired Tony LaRusso, so now they're going to go out and win the Central. And it was like, no, I, I will hear arguments for the Guardians, and I will hear arguments for the Twins. I There was no scenario where Chicago was going to be in this. And, and the first people who would tell you that were the White Sox fans. And it's this is a smart and well-informed dedicated fan base and they've been saying all off season we just had that like legendary radio call with that white Sox fan who did such a great job when he called in <laughs> sort of being calm and not being hysterical and not cursing but really just kind of summing up how everybody there feels it's like yeah firing Connors is great and all and that probably does help you it probably does but it doesn't actually change the fact that you're not developing talent. You're making incredibly poor choices on the open market. This is one of the longest tenured front offices in baseball now, alongside like the Rockies minus Jeff Friedrich, but the rest of the people who work there, which is another you know inexplicable situation. And then like Cashman and the Yankees, it's just appalling. Like why Jerry Reinsdorf, who's made a lot of really questionable decisions as an owner, are you allowing this to go on? Firing them, you fire as many managers as you want. It's not going to matter until you overhaul your front office. I mean, didn't we talk? I think it was just last week that we talked about the fact that they haven't given out. You know, they are alongside the A's and the Royals as teams that have not given out a hundred million dollar contract. I mean, that alone is a problem. Yeah. As is the fact that they can't seem to identify and develop talent. Um. So it's it's bad. It's bad, and I. I mean, as, you know, as a Guardian fan, you want to be happy about this, but this is like, you know, they're the guys we want to go toe-to-toe with, right? It makes it more fun. This is supposed to be our great and worthy opponent. You know, you're hooked to our pan or pan to our hook or whichever side of it you're on. It's just a bummer, man, because this is a, a great fan base and, and a historically good baseball team that's just been absolutely awful. And it's there's no end in sight to this either. There is no end in sight. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Irby, they really even haven't, have an approach what they need to do, which is essentially rebuild and start over. They didn't even start that process. It's going to be a long way back. Yes, yeah, and that's that's there's your issue right there. And then they have the pieces. There is core pieces here, but I, I I don't like. There's also veteran leadership there as well, and it's not getting done. There, there's this 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 feels like there's a handful of players, and there's no reason to go through them all because we could spend or we could spend an hour going through, but. There are more. I mean, I, I I can use both hands counting the number of players on here that we have talked about as legit prospects who have hit the wall in the majors and are not breaking through. They're, they they may be maintained, but they are not breaking through. 
And then it's all compounded with the fact that now Lance Lynn's not even getting the job done. So we finally hit the point with Lance Lynn. Um, but I, 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 I'm, a, I'm a Lynn fan. Um, I, I like what he can do, what he has done before. But I, it's not even hot yet, and Lance Lynn's already struggling. So this is bad. This is, this is I don't. I, I mean, I don't see the future. I don't see where this is going. And, you know, the, the, the best thing you can do, the last thing you want to hear as a fan is, is look at all these pieces and you can go, wow, we can get a ton, a ton of prospect stock for all these names if we go into full-blown sell mode. Yeah, but do you trust this front office to make good decisions that way? No. So no, 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 no. First, before you make those trades. <laughs> no, this is this is like you need to you need to like like loan out the uh, the Rays front office to come in and do your fire sale for you. Like like if you just had the Rays come in and fire sale for you, this could be epic fire sale, um, and you could bring back so much capital. But no, no, I do I do not trust this sort of thing. I I I don't trust them to do it either. Like this would, and, and and I'm glad we were saying that because this one is going to be fun to watch over the next couple months because this is not going to turn around. These guys are not going to suddenly be in this conversation. Will they do it? Will they fire set? Will they make it? Because we all like like again, we go through the names. There are some legit pieces on here that major league teams out there would love to have and would give up some serious prospects to have them. I don't see. I'm with you. I don't see the White Sox doing it. I, I this front office. Might ask for quantity over quality. <laughs> but how how bad is it for for the White Sox though? Because these players are looking to, to 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 do that with over over the course of the trade deadline are not exactly playing their best right now. Well, and they're not going to move anybody with any value. It's going to be it's going to be Lance Lynn. You want Lance Lynn? Like, I mean, I love not Lance Lynn. But no, I don't. I don't want him pitching for my baseball team. <laughs> <laughs> But no, Dylan Cease isn't going to be on the block, you know. Like Giolito is not going to be on the block. Tim Anderson, you know, like or it's going to be. Can I interest you in Lance Lynn? Can I interest you in Joe Kelly? Oh. Yes, I would take Joe Kelly. I was about to say the return on that is not going to be anything. So yeah, yeah I'll, I'll say I'll say Janae Baller for Joe Kelly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> All right, Irby, what else do you have for us? Well, I mean, let's also can, can we give a little bit of love for for Tony? Maybe it wasn't Tony. Maybe maybe Tony was falling asleep because he knew it was coming. I, I don't know. No. Uh, yeah, no. It's <laughs> not that easy. Um, the other one, a weird, weird thing going out in um, Seattle, uh, and 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 we could we could spend time talking about the Seattle team. Period. As you know, for who they should be and what we're seeing on the field. But I honestly, the one I want to talk more about the. <laughs> 14 months ago, we were having this amazing conversation of look at what Seattle could have, what they could be building in this outfield. These two superstar, young, 22, 21-year-old, uh, Jared and Julio. And, and, and I mean, I mean, it could have been that this, this law firm-sounding outfield that you had, Jared and Julio, Julio and Jared. And Julio Rodriguez did not disappoint last year. Jared Kalnick did disappoint last year. The flip this season is, I, 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 don't, I don't want to say unreal because Julio Rodriguez's numbers are not horrendous, but compared to what he did last year, compared to what they committed to him, compared to what we thought we were seeing, like this is the new benchmark for sophomore slump. Like what's going on here with Julio Rodriguez? And I, 
I have to believe as athletic as he is, as talented as he is, this is something to be turned around. But a, but a current slash line of 239, 301, 442, 743 OPS, that is not what we thought we would be seeing Julio. I mean, th- th- this is the, the ultimate one where we could put these two lines out and say which one is which, and you would guess, and you would be exact wrong because Kelnick is getting the job done. Somebody who, and I'll, I'll be the first to say I was wrong because I was very harsh on this guy in the offseason. I did not see him turning around. I'm happy for him, happy for, for Seattle to the point of so when she was the Rangers, but we'll get to that later on. I, but it is nice to see him turning around. But, man, Seattle, it's, this, is, this is Mariners baseball over the last, like, three decades, right? You get these two prospects, and you can't have them hit at the same time. Like, that's their luck. Yeah. No, it is. It is. You know, and I agree with you. Like, like you know, Julio Rodriguez is absolutely going to turn this around. I don't have any question about that. Um, but I do, I do think that, that, that Kellenick really is the story here, Samantha, because this is a guy who – had it, you know, had his shot last year, did not do well, and you, you got to give it to the kid to come back when you had everyone, all the all the pundits out there saying, okay, well, you know, I, I, you know, Jay Rod's the guy, Kelnick is the one that's going to miss. Now the now the roles were reversed a little bit, and Kelnick started to come out and and play the way that we all thought he would a year ago. So I, I guess the question then becomes, is is Kelnick? Now the guy is Rodriguez still the guy? Like where are we at here with Seattle baseball? Because like like Irby just said, they can't seem to hit to, you know at the same time. Eventually they have to. Well, Rodriguez is hurt, so I, I think we need to back off of the like what's wrong with Julio Rodriguez. We know what's wrong with it. He has a back injury. Like that's hugely impactful on how well you can hit a baseball. So, um, you know, this is pretty significant. So, and I, I think Julio will be fine. I'm more worried about the injury than I am about, you know, whether this is truly a slump. I, I think, yeah, he is underperforming slightly, and, and he's also hurt in a way that I think is, is pretty significant in terms of what it would do to their performance. So I'm not worried about Julio other than in the sense of I hope this doesn't nag and cause his performance to be poor or cause it to miss time. Um, you know, for an extended period, because like Seattle got a lot of problems, <laughs> a lot of problems uh, that don't have anything to do with either of these two players. They can't afford to have that happening to them too. But but yeah, to stay on the positive side of it, because I think you're right, Bo. I think the story here, and especially because I, I think we have to chalk so much of what ha- what's happened to Leo up to the injury is um, Kellick. Like I, I don't know that I really thought, oh, he's done. This guy's a, a bust. But I was close to feeling that way. Like, I don't know, maybe this kid just doesn't have it. He looks a little bit like a quad A player right now, yeah. we saw him a year ago. And it's a good, I think, testament to sometimes guys get called up, it gets overhyped, and they're just not ready. They need more at that to the AAA level. That actually does happen. I think we've kind of gotten into the situation where we've seen too many of these guys come up and look absolutely phenomenal. And now when somebody doesn't do it, we're like, oh. What a wash. Uh, Call that guy up. Yeah, quad A guy. You know, you're going to be filling out rosters as a pinch hitter for the rest of your career. Um, But but really, I I think maybe he just wasn't quite there yet. He needed some more at bats. He looks pretty good. Now, again, I think we have caution. We have a month of data. Um, I don't Mm -hmm. know that we can necessarily say that Jared Kelnick is now not a bust, 
Uh, but he is headed in the right direction, and I'm happy for him. And, you know, I kind of believe in this kid. And I don't believe in him as much as I believe in Julio. I just don't think he's the same caliber of player. Um, but I, I think he can be a positive contributor and is probably a lot better than we feared he would be, like, a lot better. So hang on. We'll see how it goes. But right now, I mean, if you're a Mariner fan, this is a story you got to cling to, right? Because the, the news with Julio is not good. Um, there's a lot of bad news <laughs> in Seattle, mm-hmm. how things are going right now. But, uh, you know, this is, this is a bright spot, certainly. Well, then, can I add to that, too? Of, like, so, yes, this is the, it's, it's, they're calling this a sore back. And he's sat out now, what is it, the last four days, as, as we're talking right now. He sat out the last four days. How long has this really been an issue? And why was he still playing every More single day? More than four days. Yeah, exactly, which is. The whole problem, yeah, like, and, and that's the, that's the thing. It's like, and so I, I get, the, and, and I and I agree with you that yes, if he's hurt, these numbers are going to get better. If you, but I, I mean, this here we go. With, you know, do, you, do we trust the White Sox to do the right thing by their trading? You trust Seattle to do the right thing and actually give this guy like two months off? No, you know, no. There you go. Like, I mean, because this is, I. I my, my favorite one of this, um, and I was going to say this before, I, I wanted to make it more joking, but it is more of a serious conversation because of the injury, because of this this time off. But um, we, we, we joke about all this baseball data, the, the, the stealings and the stealings are up and all that. And, of course, it's Julio Rodriguez who's leading the league and caught stealing. Like, seriously? <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, right. Yeah. Tell me what else you have for us. Well, so the last one, um, which is a wonderful thing that we can kind of tie into what we did before, um, you know, we'll pick on the Mets one more time of their four quality starts. Uh, but this starting pitcher has five quality starts already. So he's got more. And that's a good thing. Um, Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw. Welcome. I mean, this is. This is awesome, and I know Kershaw had a really good uh, 2022 campaign, and and maybe this is the ultimate, you know, the the affected by COVID player, and that will be the outlier, the hiccup in his career. But this is, I mean, back above nine on your Ks per nine innings. He is, you know, the quality starts that I just talked about. You know, we've had only the one bad outing, his second start of the season against Arizona, which, again, if you're going to have a bad outing against Arizona, not terrible. So, absolutely loving this, what we're seeing from Clayton Kershaw. I, I, this is one, I've enjoyed watching this player his entire career. You know, it's a fun story that we've talked about multiple times with him as childhood friends with Matthew Stafford and, and all that. But, but, but watching Kershaw his entire career has just been fun. Uh, I, I, it's the way he goes about his business, the way he throws. It's just been entertaining, so I, I don't know. I, I Call me weird. Maybe it's the Texas guy, North Texas area where I'm from. It's I think it's good for baseball to see Clayton Kershaw doing well, and this is even beyond doing well. I mean, he is just – this is shut down old-school Clayton Kershaw pitching right now. You know, Samantha, I, I, know, I never really understood, like, like the, the talk about the demise of Clayton Kershaw. Like, like, like the whole conversation around this guy is really since 2020 has been, well, okay, he's got one more year in him. He's got one more year in him. He's got one more. Well, here we are three years later, and he's pitching like he did when he was in his first couple years in the league. I mean, I don't know if I'd go that far, but, but yeah, he's been quite good. Um, yeah, I mean, it was rough like that. 
you know, he had that very bad year in 2021, and we all kind of went, oh, well, I think this guy's kind of done. He's had a lot of injuries, a lot of back issues. Again, the back issue's not great for a pitcher. He's a little bit older. Um, and I think we all kind of felt like this is the end. Um, so I'm so happy, though, that it's not. I think this is super cool. I think, like, look, you know, if you're a Giants or a Padres fan, I get why you might not like Clayton Kershaw, but, like, if you're a fan of any other team or just a baseball, you have to be an absolute monster not to root for Clayton Kershaw. Just, you know, fantastic pitcher, fantastic human. Like, Irby, you mentioned the way he conducts himself and, like, just good dude, easy to root for, and, and really one of the best pitchers of this era. And I think that his sort of reputation suffered, not even just because of that, but, like, remember the whole where he was the new A-Rod? Where he couldn't win a playoff game? Right, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. He got a lot of flack for that, too, and and just a, an absolutely sort of delightful person to watch play baseball, and I'm glad to see that the, the sun is not really setting on Clay Kershaw just yet. And by the way, you guys, have you seen that video um, where with all the Dodgers players attempting to imitate his delivery, you know, because he's got the wild, you know, where he puts the hands up over his head and everything, and they asked a bunch of Dodgers players, including other pitchers and some position players, to mimic it, and it was hilarious watching guys try to do that a baseball. I mean, people were like falling over and stuff. Like it is that's harder than it looks. I tried it after I watched that video, and I was like, "Oh wow, this is weird." Like so, pretty funny. Go go find that video if you haven't seen it. It's, it's cute. <laughs> Irby, anything else you want to add here? All right. That last thing is is the uh, you know, Clayton is doing this. He you know refining himself and all that. Um, in the era of faster, faster, faster. You know how how hard can we throw it? How many times can you touch 100 miles per hour? Uh, Clayton's average speeds this season so far: his fastball is 91, his slider, his slider, his slider is 87, and his curveball is averaging 74 miles per hour. Yet he is near the top five percent in chase rate. Gotta love it. Old school Clayton Kershaw. It may be slower, but you still can't hit it. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to kick off. Um, I-, I wanted to talk about the Rangers last week, but then they got swept by the Reds. Kind of took, kind of robbed me of my talking point. So, uh, but we're going to talk about it this week. Um, you know, of course, over over the past over the last weekend, you know, it, it, what got lost. You know, you had Degrom leave the game. With it, with 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 the uh, inflammation in his elbow, and then on Sunday you had the massive blowout where they just blew the blew the Yankees completely out of the water. What is not talked about that weekend though was Nathan Evaldi's starts uh, on Saturday, because this guy, I, I think. He was really like the most important addition. Like we could talk about Degrom, we could we could talk about all the other billions the Rangers spent, but Eovaldi has been that presence, Irby. I think more than Degrom has in this in this rotation. He like, he has been that guy, along with Martin Perez. Let's not let's not forget about Martin Perez. But Eovaldi just seems to me like he was the most important pickup of the offseason. Yeah, that's a fair point, an absolutely fair point, because you knew the injury concerns that you had. You knew the usage that, that Jacob had gone through, so it wasn't just the one thing. And, and 
Um, it was interesting when the Rangers went out and they signed both, and then you added Heaney as well and brought back Perez and all that, but it, it's because you knew <laughs> this isn't a one-man show. There's multiple guys here. Um, so, yeah, you, you win by pitching by adding more and more. And so, yeah, if you lose to Grom, if it is a longer injury than the 15-day DL stint, um, sure, that's, that's a problem, but you've got, you know, another player stepping up. Aldi had a, well, a little bit of a rough start to the season, but he's found himself lately in the start that you mentioned. Um, exactly what, you know, what you're hoping for. And um, it's easier, too. It, it, there's got to be some comfort, too, if we, you have a, you know, just an okay outing, but but Texas fans haven't had good pitching in so long, so they're all like, yeah, this is great. Only four runs? This is awesome. We can we can, we can deal with that, yeah. We can, we can handle it if you give it up four runs. Um, so, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, standards are a little different uh, with, with what you know with what Ranger fans have dealt with forever um, in pitching, not named Nolan. So yeah, this is he's, he's, it's a huge part of the the process. It's a huge part of this equation of what's been successful so far and and continued going forward. Um, you know, the Degrom you knew was going to be up in the air, and it's going to be guys like Uvalde and Perez, um, and and hopefully Gray figures it out a little bit more too. And I. Like you want Degrom in the lineup, you're a better team with it. But Uvalde, Perez, and Gray—that's not a terrible one-two-three right there. You know, and Samantha, again with Degrom in this issue. I mean, we, we've studied the arm a lot more than a lot of people in this business. Uh, it, it doesn't have a good feel to it. What's going on with his elbow right now? It, it's it's we've seen it before with him though. So maybe he comes out on top of it. But for me, like the, again, Uvalde. Turns out to be like the big the big pickup that allows Texas. I mean, they're on a run, they're on a nice little run to start the season. It's not going to be derailed because Degrom is going down because they went on. They actually added Eovaldi to the mix as well. Well, yeah, and like this whole conversation on Eovaldi started back when we were doing our our season previews. If, if you missed it, the reason this came up is because somebody on another podcast had said that. Their hot take was that Evaldi was the most important pickup the Rangers made during the offseason. And they got like jumped on immediately after saying it. And then we discussed it and we all kind of went, well, I don't know. You know, that, that actually might turn out to be true. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's looking pretty good so far. Um, I personally, as a big Evaldi fan, really uh, love what we saw from him in Boston. I think he is sort of like underrated uh, in terms of the, the value that he brings. And as you mentioned with the Grom, you know, I think this is like, I don't know. I go back and forth, panic about this, don't panic about this. And mm-hmm. it sort of feels like, a, well, yeah, on the, you know, if you're going glass, it's half empty. It's, yeah, like this guy, you paid a lot of money for a guy who essentially cannot pitch anything close to a full season. Um, and this might be worse. I mean, you know, it was a wrist, and we were all like, okay, you know, but now it's an elbow. And so, you know, you alluded to this. Like, we pay a lot of attention to, like, arm mechanics around these parts. And um, (laughs) this is not a good sign. But also, we've seen, you know, if you want the glasses half full, the Rangers didn't sign Jacob DeGrom thinking he was going to make the same number of starts as, like, a workhorse starting pitcher. They knew this. They knew this. Because when he's healthy, he's the best pitcher on the planet. Like, that's what you're paying for. And we've seen this before. Like you said, sometimes, you know, this is a guy who you just kind of, you know, you got to 
put him on the IL for a while, let him rest, and he comes back, he's amazing, you put him back on the IL, and it actually works out okay, and if that's what's going to happen here, then I think that that's fine. I think that then you're just kind of in a situation where you're like, well, okay, let's pray that this cycles out, that when the postseason comes around, because I do think the Rangers are a postseason team, I really, really do, with the way they're playing right now, mm-hmm. you better hope he's on the, you know, <laughs> end of that when the playoffs come around. But, yeah, I mean, I guess it's a wait and see, but I don't know. I, I have a bad feeling about it. It's just the, like, it's, elbow. It's the progression. Elbow. Right? It's I, yeah, wrist, creeping up the arm. Wrist to forearm to elbow. Like, that. that's what's got me. Like, it's, oh. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about this. I think it was last week, too, when we were saying, like, look, all those parts are connected. Mm-hmm. And, like, when one of them starts going bad and you have this kind of issue, it's like, yeah, and it lands in the elbow, and that is how you get to your Tommy John. So I am knocking on wood as I say this <laughs> because I do not want James Brown to be Tommy John surgery. But, yeah, that... That injury that moves through the arm is very concerning. A little bit, a little bit. All right, uh, so let's switch gears because uh, we, we did talk about the, the White Sox a lot. Let's talk about Jose Abreu, who's now with the Astros. Um, I need a ruling from you guys. Is this just a bad start? Was it a bad April? Or has his bat slowed down? Considerably, because he's hitting, he's hitting two thirty two. His OPS is five thirty one. That's 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 going to come when you have your exit velocity drop from ninety two to ninety three ish down to eighty six point seven. Seemingly overnight, like, has, Samantha, has this has this bat slowed down, or is this just a bad start? He just freaking hates his life because he's in Houston now, and it's like, oh. Man, you thought your life was bad before when, like, Tony was falling asleep on your shoulder and you couldn't buy a win. Like, now you got to play with a bunch of cheaters. Poor Jose, I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> this, this is not great. So, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I don't know. I'd probably get poorly, too, if I had to go to that dugout every day. But, look, yeah, I there's, you know, we talk a lot about exit below and how it's not very meaningful. This would be a good example of where it does mean something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, I... Don't know if this might. To me, this sounds like nagging injury issue. Um, he certainly has a, a lengthy history in that way. And I'm thinking if there's a back problem in there, that would very much affect your bat speed. So I'm wondering a little bit about that. If he's maybe not 100% healthy, I also think too that like you know he's a, this is a guy who I do want to give some benefit of the doubt to and say it's only been a month. Maybe he's just having trouble adjusting. Um, uh-huh. You know, it's, we don't want to panic, but. But it is concerning. It is concerning. I mean, well, it's sort of concerning. You know, go to the Astros and can't perform anymore. Like, we don't, nobody hates that. We do not hate that on this podcast. But, um, you know, for Jose Abreu's sake, it's like, yeah, this is this is not great. And it's been long enough now to where, even though we're saying, yeah, it could be slump, he could pull out of this. But it's long enough to where you're like, okay, this is officially a problem. Yeah. This is not good like it's not like he's been particularly unlucky so i don't think he's a bad victim so mm. herbie how about you bad month or is his bat slowing down i mean it's just tough getting used to that buzzer uh in your uniform <laughs> takes time uh no i think this is this is the new abreu um this is this is the direction he's headed uh, he's he's 36. 
Um, maybe we'll find out later that he's probably closer to Albert Pujols' age than 36. Um, I don't know. I But, yeah, this is you, – you could see the trend kind of starting at times the last two seasons. Um, but, I, yeah, 20, 29 hits on the season, only four extra base hits. Uh, yeah, exit velocity, you mentioned some of those – Way down, the overall velocity's down. Barrels are down. I mean, everything. Like, like this is a. <laughs> again, we could go through all the all these metrics, all these things that we look at. Everything is down that's not supposed to be down, and everything is up that's not supposed to be up. That's, you know, those are things when you're 22, a la Julio Rodriguez, you can fix. When you're 36, not as easy to fix. He's he's. He's not necessarily chasing balls, but he is whipping. He, he is whipping at a higher rate. He's not drawing walks. He's not having good at bats. He's not having quality. I mean, that, that's the thing. It's the quality of bats. And the, it's a stat that we don't look at. We don't go into anything. But he is not having quality at bats. That's a big difference. It's a big reason for this. Um, because that is an offense around you that you can hide some of this stuff. And you can have production in there because there's going to be players getting on and building RBI opportunities will be opportunities to have quality at bats, but you can't, I mean, I, but his slash line of 232, 267, 264. Okay. That, that sounds like a utility infielder who plays once a week, not Jose Abreu, not your first baseman, not a power hitter. So yeah, don't like this trend. Um, Hey, just it gets tough getting used to that buzzer. <laughs> you would think they would have had some sort of an orientation. Here's your buzzer. Uh, here's, here's your trash can. <laughs> oh, I can't. Okay. <clears throat> All right, so my last topic needs a little bit of background uh, before I get into it. So with the uh, the coronation of King Charles III, Samantha, am I right on that? King Charles III? On Saturday, Saturday. Um, yes, that is correct. King Charles the Third. Okay, thank you. I always mix up my Charleses. All right, so <laughs> sounds really funny when you say it that way. <laughs> there is only one Canilla, though. Queen Consort Canilla. That one's a little easier. That is a lot easier. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Okay. Uh, so because of that, um, you know, the the late Queen Elizabeth had a it was a code word, a code phrase. That all of all of these royals have, in which, if they pass, it can be very subtly communicated to everyone that needs to be in the know that this has happened. So when Queen Elizabeth passed, if, uh, what about a year ago, uh, when that happened, her code name was London Bridge. So the actual communication to all those evolved was London bridges down. Now you do a little research on this, pretty much all of these announcement code names are about bridges, London bridge. Uh, I think Tay bridge was one. Um, all of them have bridges in the title. So I, I thought, I guess, cause it's coronation week is a good week to do this. Let's take, let's take four teams in baseball who are absolutely going to be eliminated at some point very soon. Let's go ahead and give them their Royal Death Code name designations. Now, three of these four, I actually took a bridge from their 
from their city, from like where they play baseball at. Okay, I took an actual bridge name. So I'm going to give you what I came up with, and you guys can we, we can come up with alternatives, or we can say, no, let's use that. So we're actually going to come up with what we're going to say when, for example, leading off, the Oakland A's are eliminated, which could happen next week. So the Oakland A's, this is the only one that doesn't isn't using a bridge actually in Oakland. All right, so... When the A's are eliminated, this is my what I'm proposing: Operation Feral Cats on a Bridge. <laughs> the Feral yep. Cats had to come into play here, right? Yep. Uh, because that's what this, right? Like it's the the Feral Cats win. Then they take over. It's perfect. Yeah, it's perfect. Right. And the possum. And the possum. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, right. this is the signal to instead of you know, MI5 or whatever, getting a notice or MI6. I don't know. I mix them up. Um, I should know that, but I don't. Um, probably both. Actually, I'm going to assume that both MI5 and MI6 are informed when the queen is dead. So yes. um, now the feral cats and the possum get the notice. <laughs> and I guess, I don't know what they do. Do they just go crazy? Do they just come out in the open? Like they all just come right out onto the field and... Oh, this is perfect. That's exactly right. Yeah. Right. Exactly right. Right. And so, so like, like, like the phrase that was so like for again, Queen Elizabeth was London Bridge. So the phrase communicated to all those who needed was London Bridge is down. So in this case, it would be the feral cats are loose. <laughs> feral cats are loose. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So ne- next on our list, the Colorado Rockies. Are next on this list. Uh, there is a bridge in Colorado called Colorado Crossing. So for the Rockies, we're going to go with Operation Colorado Crossing 500 Bridge. There you go. Good oh, job I, getting that 500 in there. I like it. I like it. I was going to go with Dinger Dong the Witch's Dead. Um, <laughs> I like yours too, though. Oh, these are great. It sounds like a like a makeshift like race, like like dirt bike race, Colorado Crossing five hundred, but yes, that is good job. Good job. <laughs> the thing they could never get to, five hundred. <laughs> All right. Uh, next on the list, we got two more. Uh, the Washington Nationals are gonna be eliminated soon. Uh, this one was actually really easy um, because there is a there's a bridge in DC that's called the L Street Bridge. So that's simple. Operation L Street Bridge L for loss. Who's the L Street Bridge? I'm turning the board with this. I was really stuck on the key bridge here for this, and I couldn't come up with anything. So I see why you wrote the L. That works a lot better. Um, <laughs> I thought about it. I was thinking key bridge. Um, but yeah, or, you know, Anacostia. See, I can't do that. I was going for an Anacostia pun off the top of my head, but I don't have one. Um, but, you know, I got my, my digger one, and I uh, I had to quit. But I like that L Street Bridge of capital L. That's Beautiful. it. That's it. L for loss. <laughs> All right, one more before we get into armchair umpire. Uh, the White Sox, once again, have hit the run down here. Uh, the Chicago White Sox are going to be eliminated soon. So there is a bridge in Chicago called the BP Pedestrian Bridge. So for the White Sox, we're going to go with Operation BP Pedestrian Front Office Bridge. 
just an honor of that front office that won't do anything. I wonder if there was ever a... Okay, so you said they mostly used bridges for British monarchs. Mostly. Because I was thinking Tower of London and then Sears Tower. Um, oh, that would be good. Yeah. But if they're not using the towers, yeah, the bridge makes more sense. Um, yeah, but what do you yell? What is the thing you yell when the White Sox are out? I'm trying to think, what's the code to the, you know, the FBI or to... Paul you don't yell anything. Or... Everybody just takes a nap. Oh, like Tony. <laughs> we know we're going to sleep. Sweet. Oh. Tony LaRusso is on the pedestrian bridge. There you go. <laughs> Tony, Tony's down. Uh, Tony's asleep, and that's the season. Uh, guys, this is so. As somebody who's like very into their British heritage and has ordered all kinds of stuff for the coronation, I'm really excited about this. And now we have incorporated it. It's like my favorite thing. It's not my other favorite thing. This is great. Um, <laughs> Anything about this? Now I want to make one for every team and dole them out slowly as they all get eliminated. This is excellent. Good job, though. We've got four. <laughs> we, we've got four. So you know, if you, any, any of you guys want to take the next four, uh, you know, we, we could definitely have that done by trade deadline. I think. Yeah, yeah. As more teams get eliminated, perhaps you will come back to this. Even though Charles shall be on the throne and the coronation will be over, but uh, you know, never the wrong time to, to celebrate. Uh, <laughs> This is somebody who didn't fight a war to not be a colony. <laughs> so some of us still have some royalist leanings. So, uh... <laughs> all right, Irby, are you ready with Armchair Empire? You ready to take us down our next, our next, uh, our next? I am. Path and I am. Yes. Book. All right, far away. Yes. Yeah. So this one, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go straight from. Uh... Straight, straight, straight shoot here. I'm going to use the actual names and everything of a situation um, that actually did happen um, quite a few years ago. But that's okay. The rules haven't changed anything, so sure? no pressure. This one, this one actually happened, um, and the umpires that day got it right. I'm sure, the umpires today would get it. Some of them would. Some of them probably would. <laughs> so, yeah, it'd be fun. You, um, you but, have more all right, confidence in the umpires than I do. Well, in, in specific umpires, yes. <laughs> in others, I am 100% certain they would get it wrong, and a few of them on purpose. <laughs> uh, so, all right. So, sometimes the most spectacular plays in baseball work just like a charm, and so did it in this situation. Um, quite a few years ago, when the Yankees were playing the A's, and that, folks, was the A's when they were not in Oakland. They were in Kansas City how long ago we're going back. So, um, on this particular day, the Yankees were on the short end of a 4-1 to score as they came to bat in the fifth inning against the A's, that is in Kansas City. Tony Kubek uh, bangs a base hit into left field. Mickey Mantle singles, sending Tony over to third, and one Yogi Berra up next. He gets nicked by a pitch ball, so we are we are bases loaded here. Good time to get back down three. Time run at, th at first. Cletus Boyer. That's right, Cletus. I love it. Mm -hmm. Cletus Boyer steps up to make the most of the opportunity and works the count to two and two. And then Mr. Boyer flashes a vicious line drive straight back at the mound. 
the ball strikes the pitcher's rubber and, without touching said pitcher, rebounds back over home plate. Catcher Pete Daly leaps high up into the air and spears the ball, steps on the plate to force out Kubek. The ball is then relayed to third and over to first for the triple play. It looks as though that poor Yankee rally would be stifled here in the fifth inning. But you're the umpire. What just happened? All right, Samantha, there's okay. got to be some weird rule about the pitching rubber. Yeah, I was going to say, so this, really, all of this, it's pretty easy to figure out beyond that. The question here yeah. is, is the pitching rubber part of the field? <laughs> I mean, it has to be. It's in fair territory. Right. Yeah, except if a ball, yeah, it's, if we're assuming it works differently, because if a ball hits the field in fair territory and then rolls foul, it's a foul ball. Oh, you so, know, you're right. So technically, wouldn't that be a foul ball? It's a foul ball, ball. yeah. So the batter's out because the catcher caught it, right? Well, okay, there, then we have another problem, too. Yeah, is that a fly ball? I mean, I'm assuming it's not. Well, okay. Irby, what was the count on the hitter? 2-2 two, two count. Okay. 2-2 two, two count. So, because if you're considering that a fly ball, then the batter is out because the catcher caught it. Yeah, but it if caught it's, it foul territory. But it hit the ground. But it hit the rubber, which we're saying is like hitting the ground. So, I mean, I, I feel pretty good about the fact that it's a foul ball, which means the runners can't advance. But is the batter out? I don't think the batter's out. I don't either. Like, I, to me, that's just a foul ball. It's just ball. a foul ball. Right? Yeah. So the, it's just a foul ball because it goes off the rubber. So he's catching it basically. It'd be about the same as if it if it hit right on the plate, bounced up, and he caught it. It'd be the same thing. It's a foul ball. But it's not an out because it touches the ground. Yeah, because it hit the ground. So it's basically a do-over. Yeah, yeah it's, right? it's, a, it's a foul like ball. It's, the count remains 2-2, two -two and it's a foul ball. Everybody stays where they are. Yeah. All right. Is that our final answer? Do we have to? Is there anything else we need to take into consideration here? We've given everyone at home enough time to get it wrong. Like we were probably wrong. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. You know what? I, th I think that's the final answer. It's a foul ball. Counts. Okay. The count is still two and two. Every every runner back to their base. All right. So that's what y'all are going with your final answer. Yes. Yeah. You guys are the Tampa Bay Rays, starting the year off 3-0. and yes! Well done. We wow. did it! Yes. <laughs> that is a foul ball, and even though in the air it was speared by the catcher, it is not an out. Um, <laughs> now, here's where things would have changed a little bit. Had that hit and the catcher comes out in front of the plate and knocks it down, as a live baseball. But oh, because yeah. it was in foul territory, 
Mm-hmm. Immediately, once that ball crossed into foul territory, it is essentially a dead ball. So, yes, like I said, the umpires that day did get that right. And you folks listening home and you guys here in the in the studio, you know exactly those umpires that would have no clue of what just <laughs> happened there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think what how, how Angel Hernandez would have ruled that one. Uh, Triple play, probably a grand slam or grand, grand yeah. slam. Yeah, <laughs> pitching rubber Catcher's interference. interference. <laughs> so you went catcher interference. I went pitching rubber interference. Either way, yeah. we're all scoring. <laughs> Angel, he could do both catchers and pitchers interference. Touch them all. Right. <laughs> Two bases for each error. <laughs> for each batter. For each runner. For each error. Oh, yeah. Four. It's a four base. It's a, well, actually, it's a 16 base error. 16, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Walks over to the other dugout. All right, go down your batting order another, 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 what, what would be like 12 times because all of, all of them scored. We got to go back down. <laughs> well, and and you guys are touching on that. And like, can't you also see like some some team captain out in the infield or in the outfield yelling at his catcher, like, "Why didn't you get that in front of foul territory, dude? I'm just reacting to what's happening in front." Of I yeah, in the you know point six seconds, you would have to react to that. Like, come on, man. <laughs> Yeah, we started with blaming catchers, and that would be another one of, like, you'd be yelling at the catcher going, man, why do you get that? Sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> That's a good one, man. I really didn't know how that was going to go. I thought we had it right like I always do, but I was waiting on another Irby special with the rules to come get us. But Oh, well. That's going to do it for us. We're out of here. Don't forget to give us a like. Give us a review. Give us a a subscription. Hit us up on Twitter. Help us get some more people onto the show. But until next week, watch some baseball. It's good for you.